So I went off the radar with my sermon today, uh, again, and probably for the next six weeks, uh, because there are six chapters uh, in the book of Galatians, and I love the book of Galatians. So uh, I do a lot of digital books, but I decided to put out my commentary on Galatians, because I have a physical copy of a book about Galatians, because uh, throughout my academic career and my ministry career now, um, it has continued to be one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, it's shorter than the rest, um, than, than some of the books of the Bible and Paul's letters. Uh, it's not as short as Philemon. Um, so this morning there's Bibles in your pews. And I invite you uh, to open those Bibles to the first chapter of Galatians. Because this is sort of going to be a sermon, it's sort of, sort of going to be a large root Bible study uh, this morning. We, we're going to read some more scripture together. Uh, occasionally I'm going to go back to my notes here. Um, but I want us to look at Galatians. Uh, because, you know, oftentimes uh, we hear in the church, li- church world that we want to be a first century church. That we want to be the church that was an axe. And there's all this beauty and glory around the first century church. But do you know, during the time of Paul, that there was conflict in the church? That they had problems in the church. And Paul had to address these problems. And he did so in this letter here to the Galatians. Um, And so basically, we're going to go through this and... Uh, basically looked at the first chapter through chapter 2 this morning. Um, But Paul, uh, Paul and the first century church was persecuted uh, by Jewish leaders, by um, pagans of that time. Um, And every time uh, Paul would go and establish a church, uh, he would have to address problems because they were just getting started. They were, they were trying to understand what it was uh, to be a Christian. Now, we know in Galatians here, as we'll read and, and understand together, that there were th- this group of people called the Judaizers, right? And the Judaizers uh, said that one had to be a Jew uh, before they could be a person of faith. They, before they could be a Christian, they had to go through all the Jewish customs and rituals in order to get to that point. Um, And so we're going to talk about that. So the first point here is in chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 10 together. And it says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace of Christ to follow another gospel. It's not really another gospel, but certain people are confusing you, and they want to change the gospel of Christ. However, if in ourselves or a heavenly angel should ever preach anything different from what is preached to you, they should be under a curse. And some translations say, a curse of God. And I'm repeating what you've said before. If anyone preaches something different from what you received, they should be under a curse. And hear these words, brothers and sisters. Am I trying to win over human beings or God? 
or am I trying to please people? And if I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be Christ's slave. So in the earliest days of Christianity, false teaching was very apparent. Uh, Paul did not look o- overlook it. He didn't pretend it didn't exist. Neither did he minimize it. He confronted the issue head on. So I just want to share this past week. Now, I hate, pe- I, I hate debating anything over social media, okay? I, I normally don't engage. Normally don't engage. So I'm just going to be blunt, all right? So there's a whole lot of my colleagues debating this whole, uh, it's, a, it's a current event, the Catholic Church uh, voting to not let Biden take communion, right? So we're not going to talk about Democrats and Republicans this morning, and I have my own opinion on the Catholic Church, right? But my concern was, is taking communion unworthily, right? That when we go before the bread, right, before the blood of Christ, we go before the body of Christ, that we are taking in sincerity. That it's not just a, a thing that we do on Sunday morning. It's not just like a religious activity, but rather something that we understand and grasp, right? That we have gone before the Lord and confessed our sins, most importantly. That we don't go in perpetual, non-repentant sin. Not saying that about the person that the article is about. But what I'm saying here is, us as a congregation, when we go before the table, the scripture is very clear that we need to do so, we need to confess our sins to God. And we do that every Sunday. That's why we do spend some special time in silence. Because all of us have individual sins that I hope we are earnestly trying to change our lives. Because repentance is a change of life. So we're doing something about it. Well, some of my colleagues who I've known for years now have said, you know, it's a free-for-all, basically. That you don't have to really repent, change your life, because we're all sinners. Well, I understand. I get it. We're all sinners. But we have to change our life. We have to be making an honest effort not to save ourselves. I get that. Christ saves us. But we can't just go out on Saturday night, every Saturday night, and do whatever we want, and then come to church on Sunday morning and just say, oh, well, Lord, I'm sorry, and then do it again the next week, right? We have to be able to build that relationship with Jesus. And so I was part of cancel culture this past weekend, right? I literally got just like turned off from 10 friends that I thought were friends, seminary professors, right? And, and I didn't say anything crazy. I just said, you need to repent of your sins and earnestly try to live in unity with God, right? And, and communion at its core is, think about who Jesus shared that table with, his disciples, right? And so there's a twofold thing here is that we're disciples of Jesus. We believe in Jesus. I mean, that's what I believe an open table is, is that we all are disciples of Christ. We are in unity with one another, right? That we love each other. That you think the disciples love Jesus? Absolutely. Even Judas loved Jesus. 
he made a sin, right? He, he portrayed Jesus. He, actually, he killed himself. So I think there was some remorse there for what he did. Did he ask for forgiveness? I sure hope so. I don't know if he's in heaven or hell. I know there's a, there's a whole story there. But the point is, I believe at the core that the disciples love Jesus. And the point is that we love Jesus and we love each other. So I combated this. There is sin in the world. There is a changing landscape of what theology teaches. It's really sad to me that um, we have begun as a, as a generation, as a society, to dismiss the teachings of the church that have been here over 2,000 years because it doesn't fit right with us. Brothers and sisters, I mean, we, we have to look at that. We have to look uh, at the Bible at its entirety and not pick and choose. And I know I'm on a soapbox because I've said this before. But it's really bothering me. And I didn't realize till this weekend just how far people have taken it, really. These are people that went to conservative theological seminaries, right? Trained with me next to me in class every single day. We had debates and, and wrote papers together, right? And they have just shifted with the world. And I think it goes well with Galatians here because we talk about other gospel in chapter 1. The other gospel, what is that? The other gospel is the gospel of the world, brothers and sisters. The gospel of the world that the world wants you to believe in rather than believing what the Bible says. So again, we have these, these Judaizers uh, that believed that one has to convert to Judaism. So if you're a Gentile, we're all Gentiles, unless you're Jewish on your mother's side, right? We're all Gentiles. We would have to convert to Judaism, and that includes men that are uncircumcised would have to be circumcised, right, in order to convert to the faith. And Paul says, are you crazy? Right? And I want to think, if, if you told grown men this, they would just say, forget about it. I'm not going to be Jewish, and I'm not going to be Christian. Right? Praise the Lord. Right? And Paul says, right, it is faith. It is faith that saves you. It has nothing to do with what you do. And it's a really fine balance, right? Because we were just talking about communion and the need of confession. But in the same sense, I'm telling you, it's faith that saves you. So you've got to wrestle with that. What does that mean for you and your walk with Jesus? Right? The scripture is clear that God will know us by our fruits. The world will know us by the fruits that we bear. And, and when I look at this, I really think of the situation that we as a church are Christians first. Right? Everybody agree? We're Christians first. Now, I'll never forget when I was growing up, you would ask somebody, you know, what religion are you? And they'd usually say, again, I'm from southeast Louisiana, right? So they'd say, I'm Catholic. That was usually their number one response. And so, um, but are you Christian? And I asked the same question here. We might have a lot of Lutherans, but are we Christians? Because the truth is, right, we don't have that special condo in heaven. Like, I want it, right? I want a first, like, 
uh, Disney has fast passes where you get in first of the line. I want the fast pass to Jesus because I'm a Lutheran, right? Like, but it's not going to happen, right? I'm a Christian, and I'm at the wait just like everybody else to ask Jesus all of my questions when I die. And Paul, and everyone else that I want to ask questions of. Um, but, are we Christians that happen to be Lutherans? Yes. Right? Just like every other church in this community. Does it make us better than anybody else? I don't believe so. And that's my biggest struggle, is this kind of like theological elitism. So basically, I'm putting my nose in the air at everybody else. I can't stand it. It's driving me crazy, and that's what happened to me this weekend. So uh, the second point, all right? So the first one is we're, uh, let me keep sure I go back to this now. Uh, perverting the gospel, verses 6 through 10. The perversion of the gospel, changing the gospel to say whatever you want it to say. That's what the church in Galatia is doing. And our second point this morning, and don't worry, there's only three, is presenting the gospel. Verses 11 through 2, chapter 10. Now, now you've got to hear me read. All right? So let me go over here to my Bible. And I am reading, this is the Common English Bible. Uh, the back of your bulletins are NIV, so it's a little different. Don't get too scared here. I'm not preaching another gospel. Um, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the gospel that I preached isn't of human origin. I didn't receive it or learn it from a human being. It came through revelation from Jesus Christ. And you heard about my previous life in Judaism, how severely I harassed God's church and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond my peers because I was much more militant about the traditions of my ancestors. But God had set me apart from birth and called me through his grace. And he was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach about him to the Gentiles. And I didn't immediately consult with any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see the men who were the apostles before me either. But I went away to Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Caiaphas and stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any other of the apostles except J James, the brother of our Lord. And before God, I, I'm not lying about the things that I'm writing to you. And then I went to the region of Syria and Cilicia, but I wasn't known personally by the Christian uh, churches in Judea. And they only heard a report about me. The man who used to harass us now preaches the faith that he once tried to destroy. So they were glorifying God because of me. And then about 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem again to Bar Barnabas. And I took Typhus, Titus along also. And I went there because of a revelation. And I laid out the gospel that I preached to the Gentiles for them. But I did it privately with the influential leaders to make sure I wouldn't be working or that, man, my eyes right here, or that I didn't, I hadn't worked for nothing. However, not even Ty, Titus, who was with me and who was a Greek, was required to be circumcised. But a false brothers and sisters who were brought in secretly slipped in to spy on our freedom, 
which we have in Christ Jesus, and to make us slaves. We didn't give in and submit to them for a single moment, so that, that the truth of the gospel would continue to be with you. The influential leaders didn't add anything to what I was preaching, and whatever they were make makes no difference to me, because God doesn't show favoritism. But on the contrary, they saw that I had been given the responsibility to preach the gospel to the people who aren't circumcised, just as Peter had to be circumcised. The one who was empowered by Peter to become an apostle to the circumcised empowered me also to be the one to the Gentiles. James, Cyphus, and John, who are also considered to be key leaders, took hands with me and Barnabas as equals. And when they recognized the grace that had been given to me, so it was agreed that we would go to the Gentiles while they continued to go to the people who are circumcised. And they asked only that we would remember the poor, which was certainly something I'm willing to do. So again, we are presenting the gospel this morning. We see that Paul presented the gospel to the Gentiles. That his authority was recognized by the apostles. Uh, and we know that, that Paul had that come to Jesus moment on the Damascus Road, right? Where his eyes, he was blinded, he fell off his horse, and Jesus spoke to him, right? And told him, you're going to go do this. Now, imagine he's a murderer of, of Christians. And all of a sudden, God tells him he's going to go preach to the Gentiles. He's going to preach to Christians. And he's thinking, well, these people are going to run away from me. I used to murder them. And, you know, it was really cool when I... When I got, went over to Israel, I got to go to that place where, where Paul spent those 15 days that it talks about. But it talks about how Paul spoke with authority. Not given to him by man, but given to him by God. Right. So when we go out into the world and we say to ourselves, well, I'm not a preacher, um, I don't have any theological training, whatever. That's the kind of excuse things I've heard from people, right? Uh, I heard from parents when I was a youth pastor that they didn't want to really talk about faith with their children because, you know, that's why they send them to church, right? And I've heard that many, many times. It's the same thing with school, right? Well, we send them to school to be educated. So we're not, we're just going to rely on the teachers to do all the work. Well, brothers and sisters, we know, right, it's our job as parents, grandparents, etc., that we are to disciple our children, right? children of the faith. And we are to get our words not from mankind, but from God. And that's the problem in the church today, right? Is that we sometimes will gravitate towards something that feels good, something that makes us uh, have pep in our step, so we can come to church and get our, our fill for the week so we can be ready for the week ahead. But the point, that is not the point of church, brothers and sisters. The point of church is to hear the word of God, and sometimes it beats you up. Honestly, there's more moments in scripture that beat me up than make me feel good. There's moments that make me say, you know, I'm a messed up person, and I'm just somehow being used by Jesus. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, so we have to get our words, our commentary, from God. Now, hear this. 
if God tells you something that doesn't agree with the church, right? 2,000 years of the church, it's completely different. It, you probably need to check yourself. Go to your accountability partner, your Bible study partner, and say, you know, this is what the Holy Spirit told me. And they might tell you, well, that sounds completely crazy. Let me give you an example. There are many new churches, new Christian groups. All right, my, my family grew up in one, right? Um, and we, my grandpa used to call them religious cults, right? And they, they come up with new teachings that better themselves rather than the kingdom of God. That's the number one indicator. We got to know the gospel. So I guess I'll just put it out there. So when my, my mother was growing up, uh, for a time, a time period, they were in the Mormon church, right? They were, they were Mormons, and I still have family that are Mormons. And uh, my grandmother tells a story that God came to her in a dream and told her that it was a cult and she needed to leave. And that's exactly what they did. Now, I'm not trying to down anyone. They're good people, right? They give a lot of money to the poor, and they give a lot of money to food insecurity. In fact, I have, like, uh, boxes of Mormon food on, in my basement at the parsonage because I got a bunch before I left Florida that I'm still working on. Uh, they're good people. But that's not the point. We're talking about the Bible, right? And there are parts of that faith that are just not in line with Scripture at all. And we have to be aware just because, you know, they're evangelizing us. They knock on our doors, and I see them at Walmart, and I usually strike up a conversation and tell them that Jesus loves them. That's what I do. Uh, and I'm praying for them. But we have to be careful. We have to know the Word of God. Now, my Grandpa Harold, who never went to church— but his grandpa was a Baptist minister, so um, he would sit him in the next to the rocking chair, that's the story I'm told, and he would make him recite bi Bible scripture. So they'd read Genesis chapter 1, and then my grandpa would have to recite it. So he knew his Bible, and he never joined. Praise God. He was the, the light of hope, and he got my family out of that situation. Um, and so there are those people that need people like us. There's a whole website devoted to it, to these people that leave religious groups like that that need a Christian home. And so, who knows? Maybe we could be it. Um, so know the Word of God. Know the Word of God for yourself. Don't rely just on the preacher, which I know you don't, because I get challenged by people. That's okay. We have to know God's Word. So next, uh, chapter 2, 11 through 21 uh, and I'm going to try to read it quickly for you. But when Cyphus and, uh, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was wrong. And he had been eating with the Gentiles before certain people came to James. But when they came, he began to back out, of, uh, back out and separate himself because he was afraid. And the people who promoted circumcision and the rest of the Jews who had joined him in the hypocrisy so that even Barnabas got carried away with them in, in their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they weren't acting uh, consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cyphus in front of everyone, if you, though you're a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you require the Gentiles to live like a Jew? 
We are born Jews. We're not Gentile sinners. However, we know that a person isn't made righteous by works of the law, but rather through faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We ourselves believed in Christ Jesus, so that we would be made righteous by the faithfulness of Christ, and not by the works of the law, because no one will be able to be made righteous by the works of the law. But if it is discovered that ourselves are sinners while we are trying to be made righteous in Christ, then Christ, then is Christ a servant of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild the very things that I tore down, I show that I myself am breaking the law. And I died to the law through the law so that I could live for God. I have been uh, crucified with Christ and am no longer alive. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in my body, I live by faith. Indeed, by the faithfulness of God's Son, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have to protect the gospel in these verses. We have to protect the word of God to the world. We have to live by faith. We have to defend the church. So there's that famous quote from Luther Right? He's being questioned. And he's been asked multiple times, you know, to recant, to repent of his sin, right? And Luther says, Here I stand, right? Here I stand. So, and he was willing to die for standing for the Word of God, to stand for it, to die for it. So, we got to ask ourselves this morning. Are we willing to die for the word of God? That's hard. If someone were to knock on your door and our faith, right, our faith all overnight became something that was illegal in this country. And who knows? It could happen one day. Maybe, maybe not in some of your lifetimes. Maybe not in mine, but maybe it could become illegal. Am I willing to die for it? And that's, that's really intense, I know, but it's the truth. We have to protect the gospel. Again, it's why we recite our faith together. We're in unity as the body of Christ. We don't have time, the church globally does not have the time to fight among each other anymore. Like, the whole church globally is declining. We know this, right? It isn't what it was in the 50s and 60s, right? Uh, Again, I go back to my youth ministry days, and I remember going to this church, and I'm saying, you know, we had two school buses full of kids that would come to youth group, this little country church. And we're lucky to have 10 now. And this was the ongoing complaint. Well, parents used to send their kids to church for youth group, right? That's becoming rare these days, right? People... We're in church on Sunday morning because that's what you did. You went to church on Sunday morning. And and when I was growing up, that's what I did. Again, I'm in the South, so we're like 20 years behind the progressive movements, right? (laughs) We went to church on Sunday morning. I don't care what was going on in your life. You were in that pew on Sunday morning. And like I said, when, when I would go home and if I tried to play hooky from church, the older ladies from the congregation would call me on my phone and ask me why I wasn't there, and they would be sure to pick me up the next Sunday. I was in church. But 
we're not there anymore as a society. The gospel hasn't been protected. The gospel, is, it's almost like for some people, faith has become dead. Now, I said I'm doing a Bible study. Um, probably the book that we're going to be studying is a book called The Christian Atheist. Anybody read that book before? It's a really good book. The Christian Atheist. And you can Google Christian Atheist. And watch what, there's actually a whole definition of what it is now. Right? It's, it's being a member of a church or saying you're a Christian, but not living like Jesus is alive, right? Living whatever way you want to. Christian atheism. Um, we have to, in this society, do something different. We have to. I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. You know, there's a lot of, of churches that they call pastors, young ones like me, right? And they think we're going to just, young people are going to flock because you got a young pastor. Doesn't work. Like, it just doesn't work. It's it, not how it happens. It happens by the community of Christ coming together. Uh, and I don't care if it's all, we get a bunch of young people. I would love that. But if all of your friends that are retired, right, uh, if we have, my friend calls them owls, older, wiser leaders. If we have a congregation full of owls on Sunday morning, great, glory be to God, Right? Glory be to God. It's not about age. It's not even about um, socioeconomics. It's not about any of that. It's about the whole community knowing Jesus. And we know, as I've preached before, there are so many lost people in this community that need Christ. Uh, again, we drive downtown. We tried so hard yesterday. We wanted, we've lived here, and we don't know anything about Baltimore City. And I understand, like, it's, you know... And I just wanted to go. So I, I, we looked up on our phone all the diner, drive-in, and dives restaurants. There's like 17 of them. And I said, you know what would be cool? Let's go through all 17 in the next year. So we tried. We went to this, tried to go to this little pizza place in downtown Baltimore. And, of course, as soon as we tried to drive through the street, it's 6 o'clock, so they shut the street down, I guess. And we couldn't get through, and I was really upset. And uh, we went around like waited a half an hour in traffic, and of course, while I'm driving down there, it's like every corner, it feels like, there's some church that has been shut down, like nothing, and these, they're beautiful, historic buildings, and I'm like, okay, so where did all the, where did all these people go to church? Do they go to church, you know? Uh, I don't know, but all I know is there's a bunch of churches shut down, and there's more people there than there are churches versus like Dundalk, where I feel like we have a lot of churches, right, and a lot of small churches. Um, and I worry about that city, and it almost feels overwhelming because I remember coming here for the call, like to, to look at the area and thinking, man, I would love to do some inner city ministry and try to make change the world type thing. And it's almost overwhelming to be like, okay, what can First Lutheran of Dundalk do for inner city Baltimore? I mean, we're, we're the closest NALC church to downtown Baltimore. I mean, in some ways, we are, we are the outlet that we have to minister to that community. But, I mean, 
there's so much work. I mean, from the dirtiness of the city, trash everywhere, right? Uh, to the shutdown churches, to the homeless population. I, I just really wonder to be the church to Baltimore City, because again, we are the closest one. How do we do that? I don't know. It, it, it's nothing that pastor could come up with by himself. Like I'm, I'm literally overwhelmed by it. So it's like when the body of Christ has to come together, the church, to figure out something. So, I mean, this is our community first. I get it. Like, we're going to minister to Dundalk, and we're going to love on these people. But I think at some point, like, we need to do something. So I want you to think maybe six months out, and I'm going to have to write myself a note so I remember this. Six months out from here, what is some type of ministry project we could do downtown? And I'm going to tell you, if we have to drive down there, I'm going to have to take a, a ride with someone other than myself because I'm no longer attempting to drive down there by myself. Uh, <laughs> like, I just can't do it. So, please, I'll, I'll ride with somebody, and we'd love to do something there. Um, so, you know, we're going to look through Galatians uh, this next six weeks, and, you know, uh, each week is going to be something a little different different format, different way of looking at it. My goal is not to make you super late to Sunday school. Um, but, you know, in p- chapter 3, as you begin to look at Galatians, so feel free when you go home to read chapter 2 and 3. You don't have to, but you can. And he starts off my favorite, one of my favorite verses to quote, you foolish Galatians, who put a spell on you, right? Who has bewitched you? And he's talking to a church. So I want you to think of a pastor, you know, just coming in on a Sunday morning and saying, you foolish people. That's what Paul did. Paul called the church that he started foolish. So we're going to talk about next week how to be foolish in the right way, right? How do we be foolish for Jesus, right? How do we make a difference? How do we... um, change the world i mean that's what this is all about this is what sunday morning's about for me maybe maybe not for everybody but for me it it is about changing my thinking to be as galatians chapter 2 tells us a slave for jesus and we know as slaves for jesus that we have no say so that means that we have surrendered our our lives our body, our souls, to Jesus to a point that when Jesus speaks, we do. So that's where, I, that's what I, that's where I'm trying to go. That's, that's where I, as a disciple of Jesus, as Richard first, right, to understand and, and wrap my brain around how do I become a slave for Jesus as Paul was. So uh, let us pray, and we'll continue to worship. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word in the book of Galatians. God, we may be foolish at times. We may not surrender our lives as Paul did as a slave of Jesus like we should. God, I hurt. Uh, I hurt for the inner city not too far from here. God, with with churches that are shut down almost on every corner, uh, to the people of God, uh, to illnesses and poverty god i i don't know where to begin 
I, I don't know how we as a body of faith here at first can make the best impact to those people. But God, I know deep down in my heart, and I'm sure for many of us in this room today, God, you have, you have placed in our heart a care for those people. God, we pray for their government. God, which we know is challenged. We, we do. God, that uh, you put godly leaders in places of, of authority and power. God, that you call pastors uh, to maybe those churches that have closed down, God. Plant some new congregations, God, that are supported by churches like us. Help us be a unified in mission for you. Uh, God, we pray for Dundalk. God, I, I actually saw one new church plant that opened up this week. God, I pray for fruitful beginnings of their ministry. God, that, that you bless them, that you help them serve whatever their niche is. God, and we, we pray for this church to do the same. God, to help us find our path. To help us find that niche, that people group. God, you've called us uniquely to serve. God, um, help us be a church that is unified for you and your call. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.